Hey, good morning, Rob. Good morning, all. Uh, thanks for being with us today. It's May 10th on the Common Good Podcast, and Tuesday, May 10th. That makes it a politics conversation today, and super excited to be talking with Hillary Scholten, who's running for Congress in Michigan. So um, call your Michigan friends, tell them to head on over here and, uh, and to meet the candidate that's going to be next congresswoman from Grand Rapids area. Hey, uh, Rob, uh, weather in Minneapolis, our little weather report, 75 light winds, lovely day. Uh, we're, we're just, we're just, uh, gloriously pleased uh, around here. How are things looking there in Arkansas? Doug, do you want to guess the number on my car thermometer yesterday? I got in my car yesterday afternoon. Guess the number. 96. Oh, so close. It was 95. Oh, seriously. And I thought, seriously. And I thought, hmm. oh, it's, it's, it, oh, it's we're, summer. we're into it already. And, you know, I, m- my wife kind of has a rule that has frustrated my children for, uh, for a number of years. And that is, we try not to turn on the air conditioning until June. And so, <laughs> uh, you know, so it's, uh, it's a little warm already here in Arkansas. Those are the ingrained behaviors of someone who grew up in the Midwest. That's what that is. Like oh, yeah. you don't yeah, need the air conditioner on before June. There's so many parents yeah. have yelled that at their at their children. Yeah. So, you know, that's that's one of those things. And and for those who might be wondering, uh the New York Times article about a uh, a pastor from Arkansas in the midst of uh, in the the schism in evangelicalism it's not me. It's not you. I was not. There's I was another. not in the New York Times today. Well, let's yeah. let's let's hunt that person yeah. down. Maybe we can have them in, on the yeah, podcast. Yeah, actually, from Fort Smith, which is not too far from where I am here, just outside of Fayetteville, Arkansas. Well, Rob, you know, one of the things that we like to do around here is call people, voters, especially, to consider the common good, to make their voting criteria, to organize themselves not around uh, a religious identity, even a nationalist identity. Maybe let their politics not drive their economic uh, desires only, but to also consider what would be good for all of us. You know, I'm, I'm fond of this little phrase in politics has been big around Minnesota that we all do better when we all do better. And that's got this common good sort of ring to it. And uh, we've been saying that to voters for a long time and helping candidates connect with those voters. And I'm also really excited about this new project that we've launched today, uh, that we're launching today, which we're going to talk with Hillary about because she's one of these people, Hillary Shulton. But this project that we have going uh, about candidates caring about the common good. Tell us a bit about that. Yeah. So you're absolutely right, Doug. We have been asking voters to use the common good as their voting criteria. Uh, we've been doing that for you know several years now. Uh, one of the things that we, we're now doing is also asking candidates for office to use the common good as their governing criteria that hey just like we just like we ask voters not to be selfish when they're in the uh, the voting booth um, you know we're we're asking candidates hey uh, don't be selfish when it comes to to leading mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and and governing and uh, you know think about what is in the best interest of everybody and so we have asked candidates around the country to uh, to become a, a candidate for common good and uh, we are launching that today with 21 candidates across the country up and down the uh, the ballot from Senate to governor to state legislative candidates uh, and uh, and we've got you know 21 really amazing candidates that uh, that have um, 
committed themselves to doing this. And we'll talk more about this, I think, when uh, when we're done talking to Hillary. But one of these 21 candidates, as we launch Candidates for Common Good uh, today, is Hillary Shulton, who is running in Michigan's third congressional district. It's the, uh, the Grand Rapids area. And uh, Hillary is joining us today to talk about her campaign. Hillary, good morning. Thanks for being with us. Good morning, guys. Thanks so much for having me. Well, Hillary, this is a big deal for us. You know, we've been a Hillary Shulton fan for a long time. And uh, <laughs> so to have you on the podcast, really, is a, a super treat. Hey, um, so you're, you're in West Michigan. We have spent a lot of time in West Michigan. In fact, we feel like West Michigan is this little center of um, a kind of American experience. It actually has a very diverse um, immigrant population, East African yeah. and and um, people from other uh, from Central American, South American countries, um, but it also has this rich Dutch history to it, uh, <laughs> right? I used to joke every time you go to Grand Rapids, get ready to pay your own bill because we all go Dutch when we're there, uh, and that has a certain religious tone to it and a particular mm-hmm. evangelical tone. In fact, a lot of people might be familiar with the phrase Grand Rapids, Michigan, if they've been around certain kinds of evangelical Christianity because a book that yeah. they bought may have been published there, a church that they've yeah. heard of, uh, somebody was trained at a seminary, went to a college there. It's it's sort of the Silicon Valley, what Silicon Valley is to technology or, you know, Nashville is to music. There's a way that Grand Rapids is to this certain expression of, of evangelical Christianity and so we've spent a lot of time there because those are the kind of voters that, that we want to see move. And we think it's a bit of a bellwether to show what could work yeah. there, could work work in other places. For you as a candidate, that context has certainly created a, a particular kind of tone because you're a Democrat. And many times yep. these people that I'm referring to, people from the community that I have uh, was raised in the Christian faith with, they haven't wanted to vote for Democrats or even, you know, trust a Democrat or something. Can you tell us a little bit about that whole context and your getting into politics and then choosing uh, to work in the Obama administration as a lawyer uh, in the Justice Department and some of the other things that that you were doing and and what just what that's been like for you? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, I you, you hit it right on the head. That is the West Michigan experience for sure. I, you know, I I never thought that I would be running as a Democrat for U.S. Congress. You know, I didn't have political aspirations growing up. Um, my family was not overly political. I, I think the political experience was also a cultural experience. The the sort of Republican, compassionate conservatism was woven into the fabric of our Christianity, of our social, our cultural experiences. I didn't know a Democrat until I was a senior in high school growing up, mm. you know, born and raised in, in conservative Republican leaning CRC. You're absolutely right. You know, the Christian Reformed Church, you know, headquartered here in, in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Um, and it had just always been that this Republican Party, you know, was it's just what we did. It was an expression of our faith. It was an expression of our, you know, our culture, uh, our social experience. And, you know, I, I think for me growing up, the two things happened, you know, one coming to my own understanding of how my faith expressed itself in public life. And also as I see and hear from people around me every single day, you know, 
I didn't leave the Republican Party. The Republican Party left me. Mm. The Republican Party of today is not your grandfather's Republican Party. <laughs> and we see people continually moving away from that. You know, yeah. born and raised here, you know, my mom was a Grand Rapids public school teacher. My dad was our local sports reporter. You know, faith and service were what we did every single day, giving back to our community. Um, you know, their life inspired me to want to give back to my community as well. I became a social worker uh, first, worked on issues of housing and homelessness, uh, and then eventually became an attorney. Uh, you know, worked in the Department of Justice during the Obama administration alongside Republicans and Democrats. I was not a, a political appointee. Um, and this was my dream job. I thought I would be, you know, a, a DOJ attorney for the rest of my life. And then something changed really significantly in 2016 when Trump was elected and Sessions took over. And, you know, I thought I'm going to try as much as I can to do good from the inside. Um, and it just became clear more and more initially, especially when um, the the travel ban, uh, the seven country travel ban was initiated. And I just realized, you know, I cannot continue to do this work and uphold my oath to protect and defend the Constitution of the United States, my moral and ethical obligations as an attorney and my own faith convictions as a Christian. So I took a stand and I left this career that I had worked so hard to build. And I moved back home to West Michigan and I took up a job at a legal aid organization, uh, protecting and defending uh, immigrants who were experiencing some of the worst of the administration's attacks. Individuals who were uh, you know, targeted because of their country of origin, the color of their skin, the way they spoke. Uh, it, people who were you know, women who experienced sexual harassment in the workplace and were, you know, threatened with a new kind of emboldened threat with deportation if they reported the harassment that they were experiencing. Worked heavily on the family separation crisis. Uh, represented a decorated U.S. citizen Marine veteran who was unlawfully detained yeah. just because mm. of broken English and the color of his skin. Doing this work, I realized, you know, these are the types of policies that people in my community find so morally repugnant. There was such a strong outcry from, from the people that, you know, I grew up with, that I was raised with, that, you know, were saying, enough. This does not speak for me. And I knew that people in my community needed a new voice. And I raised my hand to run. I was the Democratic nominee in 2020. We had one of the highest performing races, not only in the region ever in history, but in the 2020 uh, congressional cycle for challenger races. Um, unfortunately, gerrymandering uh, had our district in such a way that uh, even despite uh, a strong message and a strong candidate, you know, we were unable to win. But um, this year, Michigan uh, has a, a new district thanks to an independent commission that drew the lines for the very first time. Uh, and we find ourselves not in a district that Trump won by 10 points, but actually in a district that Joe Biden won by nine points. So it's, uh, you know, it's being targeted nationally by, uh, you know, the, the national groups as one of uh, the races that we can win. 
um, you know, by, by the Democratic Party, but I also say, you know, by the Common Good Party, by, by folks who are really out there. Yeah. For, yeah, that that folks uh, can earn a living wage, put food on their table, you know, not be gouged by big pharmaceutical companies just for providing necessary insulin uh, for for their children. So I'm really honored to be in a position to to run again and continue to you know to give a voice to so many who are ready for a new kind of leader here mm-hmm. in West Michigan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Hillary, um, Kent County, where that's in your district, it's where Grand Rapids is. Uh, yeah. went went for Joe Biden for yep. the uh, the first time in 30 years that that county went for a Democrat. Uh, yep. Given that it is such a, as Doug was describing, such a hotbed of evangelicalism, do you think that that was a one-time rejection of Donald Trump or is there some kind of shift that's happening and – how do you how do you build on that? What what are your thoughts about that? Yeah, you know, I, I think there was there was very clearly a repudiation of Trump from a certain segment of uh, you know of of the group. However, you know, this is the district that was represented by Congressman Justin Amash for ten years, mm-hmm. for a decade, and uh, you know, in addition to you know him being you know someone who held himself out as a you know a strong you know, principled uh, individual who famously left the Republican Party. You know, I often joke he was like the Pied Piper, you know, drawing people yeah. out of the Republican Party. Yeah. And they're not likely to go back, especially when, you know, they have a candidate who, you know, is willing to stand up and say, you know, there's a different way to do this. Mm. You know, I, I often talk about, you know, my, my faith, publicly on the the campaign trail. And I say, you know, it's, it's not because I think there is one specific way to be a Christian. You know, I, Jesus was not a Republican or a Democrat. And I, I personally believe that discerning Christians can, can choose for themselves, you know, their political affiliations. But I talk about my faith so that people will see there is a different way mm-hmm. to do this. You can't be a, a, a Christian and a Democrat. You can be, you know, a person who, you know, stands up for, you know, increased access to Medicare and Medicaid, who, who says, you know, we believe in capping insulin prices. You can be Christian and pro-LGBTQ. Mm-hmm. And it's a message that resonates with so mm-hmm. many. I, I mean, yeah. when I see this, I, you know, I, I see people bringing tissues to their eyes because it has been such a, it, you know, a drought here for people who say, I think that too. And I've never had someone, you know, publicly espouse those values. Um, and I, I think it's just been a, a cultural shift that's been a long time coming. And it's about more than just one man. It's about, you know, a party that continues to, you know, stand up for things that are not in the common good, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. squashing voting rights, taking away health care, um, you know, uh, taking away women's, uh, you know, economic and reproductive freedom. Hillary, you're a unique candidate in a couple of ways, your, your own faith experience in growing up there in West Michigan, also your expertise in immigration law and mm-hmm. what a lot of people maybe have sensed, but don't haven't really put a sharp point on is just how crucial an anti-immigration narrative 
has been in the Repub- one portion of the Republican Party yeah. that really showed itself in 2007, 6, 7, and 8 when Bush was trying to push for comprehensive immigration reforms. People have even forgotten that Marco Rubio was in the little group of eight there in Florida, mm. right? And they were all deeply embedded in making a change. And then the Republican Party's most extreme elements moved against them. And then mm-hmm. Donald Trump seized on that. And it yeah. really it really is the animating narrative. Um, that, yeah. and, and frankly, a lot of Democrats don't want to talk about immigration either. We're doing some work on immigration because we know that there's certain voters yeah. who feel like immigration is different than the other political issues and it shouldn't be captured by, by one party or the other. So you as, an, as somebody who's worked you know, in immigration law and, and the Justice Department side, I'm interested in your thoughts about that and what it feels like to be contemplating what your life is going to be like when you've moved from being a lawyer who approaches the law as a lawyer mm-hmm. does to being a yeah. lawmaker who approaches the law as someone who makes the laws. And has yeah. to uh, represent them, and and how you're th- how you're thinking about that, both sort of on that larger, you know, big political movement uh, issue of immigration, but also for you thinking about being a lawmaker now. I, I think immigration is one of these areas where you know you're absolutely right. I think you know the, the the Democratic side is so afraid to touch it because the right has learned how to you know, unfortunately weaponize it uh, towards a, you know, a certain segment of the population that is really motivated by the fear mongering. Um, And I think that we just need to not be afraid to lean back in to talking about immigration. Uh, You know, there is overwhelmingly the majority of Americans want a smart, comprehensive immigration reform that will, you know, bring our borders back under control, that will bring humanity back to uh, our immigration process, and that will, you know, revamp our economy. Everyone, the reason Republicans led on immigration for so long is that it is such a strong economic selling point, you know, for so many individuals. When I get into the weeds and talk about, you know, my plan for comprehensive immigration reform, you know, it's remarkable how many people are sort of like, yeah, you know, that really makes a lot of sense, Republicans and Democrats. And I was like, you know, yeah. And if you want to learn more about that, that is almost, you know, point by point on the George W. Bush Policy Institute webpage yeah. for uh, <laughs> comprehensive immigration yeah. reform. Uh, you know, it just makes more sense, you know, as we approach an increasingly globalized economy, you know, to have more employment visas available for individuals, not less, you know, brings us into this, you know, space of a 21st century economy, you know, to have a functional and robust asylum system, you know, that can, you know, do background checks, process individuals who are truly here, you know, seeking, seeking asylum, um, and allow them refuge, uh, you know, in, in the United States, instead of years long backlogs of individuals in jail, which, you know, expensive and inhumane and, uh, you know, just, just doesn't meet any, any purpose whatsoever. Um, so, you know, it's, it's interesting. I, I, I approach, you know, the process of lawmaking the same I would as a lawyer, mm. which is 
just a very common sense approach. You know, we start with the facts and we start with the law. And, you know, anytime you are, you know, uh, approaching a, a legal issue, you want to make sure that you understand the reality of the, the ground that you're playing on. And I think that that helps you from a negotiating standpoint. Um, it helps you from a, you know, a, a legal standpoint when you're building your, your, your legal case. Um, and I think that, you know, one of the things that I always do, whether I'm campaigning or the way that I would approach, you know, uh, tackling something as, as seemingly uh, unapproachable as comprehensive immigration reform is, you know, starting from a place of agreement and, and asking mm -hmm. questions instead of making assumptions. You know, where are the stumbling blocks for individuals and how can we eliminate them? Yeah. You know, if individuals are starting with a place of fear over unregulated borders, you know, let's talk about border security yeah. first. You know, we shouldn't be afraid to talk about that, but there are ways you know, other than building a wall, which is ineffective and, you know, uh, expensive and an environmental atrocity, um, you know, let's talk about, you know, high tech uh, ways to, you know, secure our borders and patrol our borders. Let's talk about, you know, increasing the number of immigration judges that we have yeah, to right. review mm -hmm. these asylum claims. Um, you know, let's talk about collaboration with sending countries, um, you know, for how we can address the need at the, you know, at the place of origin. Um, and I, I, you know, I think that there is just so much that we uh, would find a place of agreement on if we were really willing, you know, to address those issues. But, you know, I think on, on the right, it's such an effective tool you know, that individuals are willing to not, not willing to walk away from the salient talking point. That's right. That will and it has been for a long time, right? It's not, it's not only the way immigrants yeah. have been approached with the Trump administration, which was among the worst that American history has done. Go back through our history and we've been really history. bad at this for a long time. We've so, you know, sometimes yeah. you have to practice being bad at things and this country practiced being bad at something that we should have been good yeah. at for a, for yeah. a very, very long time, which I'm just going to rant for one more second on this. What people in your area will say a lot, because you live in one of the places where people talk about where their parents came from. You have it on your own yeah. website. Like you just live in an area where people are like, my grandparents came from the Netherlands. My grandparents, yeah. it's just one of those, I don't know, people don't move or, or they stay connected to those, those narratives. And people always say things like, well, why don't current immigrants just come the way my grandparents did? And I yeah. asked that same question. Why can't immigrants yeah. come the way your grandparents did? Because we you changed the rules. Yeah, because we changed the rules. <laughs> and we said, yeah, yeah we, we you just, mean just showing up on a boat. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> Why can't they just show up uh, and, yeah. and be like, and this is one of the things that's just hard for people to wrap their heads around because they think yeah. that people have changed their behavior in trying to come to this country as immigrants. But what's really happened is we've changed the rules about how we're going to treat people. And as we like to yeah. say, if we made the laws, we can change them. And this yeah. seems like it's, it's something that, uh, that your particular uh, expertise would be, would be very helpful in Congress, especially because there's a lot of lawmakers who we talk to who this just isn't their thing, right? 
law, the the law and the ruling, you know, leading a political movement in a government is very complicated, as you know, and people don't know everything. You know, they can't possibly yeah. know everything. So you need people with certain yeah. expertise to be able to um, to lend that that credibility on, on certain issues. Yeah. There really is only, you know, about one or two other uh, lawmakers right now in Congress that have immigration as a as a foundational uh, practical uh, piece. And so, you know, when we're talking about things like, okay, what does comprehensive immigration reform look like? What does, you know, what would it actually look like to, you know, provide pathway to certain individuals, but not for others? Um, you know, the, whatever, you know, issue we're facing at the border to have an individual that has spent, you know, the better part of two decades, working in this system is is just a you know it's an invaluable experience that we need in in congress right now yeah hillary um talk a little bit about um your reaction to what seems like the impending supreme court decision to um overturn roe v wade yeah Uh, you know i mean this is uh a huge turning point um, in our country. You know, I, I think that individuals have not fully grasped yet what this could potentially mean. Um, it, you know, I, I think as as an attorney, um, I am, uh, you know, I'm I'm heartbroken over the what this means for the integrity of our courts. What this means for the, you know, the the trust and the promises that certain justices made when, you know, they were on the stand and promised, you know, fidelity to uh, standing precedent, um, and and what we here, you know, as as individuals may be facing, um, you know, here in Michigan, this is especially salient where we have a trigger law on the books, and if Roe versus Wade is overturned you know, abortion would immediately become a, a felony. Um, there are individuals in our state who are looking, you know, to, to do something about that. But, you know, I think the thing that is lost, this is another area, you know, the conversation on choice is another area in which, you know, the facts and the reality are so lost to rhetoric um, you know, here in Michigan, when we recently debated uh, some reforms to this law in anticipation of, uh, you know, what we're what we could possibly be seeing um, coming down the pike in the Supreme Court, we heard testimony from so many individuals for whom, you know, having a, a life saving abortion procedure allowed them to continue to parent their children, allowed them to keep their own lives. Can you give us a little update on where things sit on your race? Uh, what what big dates are coming up? How can people get engaged? What can they do to participate with you and what you're doing? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so things are going great. We are, you know, as I said, we're, you know, we are so excited. This is a, this is a district that is a Biden plus nine now, you know, we are, uh, we're going to be launching our, uh, you know, our, our canvassing and our field uh, program in June. We'll have a lot of opportunities for folks even to get involved, help make phone calls, write postcards, uh, even if you're not here in the district. But if you want to come out even this summer and the fall, help us knock doors. Uh, and, and get folks out to the polls. 
uh, we'll take it. We have a major university uh, here in the in the district um, that the youth vote is just going to be so key for us. So um, if you're a young person or have a young person in your life uh, who might be interested in getting involved as well, uh, you know, feel free to reach out to the campaign. Um, you can uh, sign up for volunteer opportunities uh, or donate your time, talent, or treasure uh, at hillarysculton.com. Uh, that's H-I-L-L-A-R-Y-S-C-H-O-L-T-E-N.com. Uh, and yeah, we're we're happy to take all manner of, of volunteers and assistance. Well, count, so, count us in the, uh, you know, count us in the, in the crowd. We, we want to be, be part of all that. One of the ways that people can get to your website is by certainly they can go there directly, but they could also go to Vote Common Good and check out the new uh, candidates for Common Good page that is there. Oh, and uh, and Hillary, your picture's on there, and somebody can click on your name and get to your website. Tell us about why you wanted to be a part of this effort. As we ask candidates to to you know consider the common good when it comes to how they govern and how they'll lead. Why, why was it important for you to be, you know, one of these candidates with 20 others so far in this first round yep. of, of candidates for common good? Yeah. It, you know, it is, it's just so essential right now as we see the very foundations of our democracy under attack every single day that, you know, like-minded individuals, candidates and elected officials who are, are in this for the common good band together. You know, I, I was looking at the, the picture of the uh, the candidates and folks that you have up there. What an honor to be included among uh, those individuals. Um, these are truly our, our future shapers. Uh, you know, that is what motivated me. Uh, politics is often just on, on both sides is so overrun with corruption, you know, big money, special interests, and finding those individuals for whom uh, investing in and promoting the common good uh, is, is so important that we band together, uh, get our message out and help individuals know that you're not alone. There are individuals like us, candidates like us, elected officials like us out there who are ready to make change and affect the common good in public life. Well, we're awfully excited about this and uh, feel like um, that your win is going to make a big difference. We hope that it makes a big difference in control of Congress. And we have this system in the United States where the political party that has more than 50% of the House of Representatives aligned with them sets the agenda, which means that one of the two political parties is not in control of setting the agenda that tends to move since 1992, 94, that has been moving back and forth. Uh, it used to be settled, you know, for 40 years that Democrats owned the house of representatives. And that was sort of that. A lot yeah. of things have changed since then. Now it's moving. There's a possibility that you, when, when you win, that your that the Democratic Party won't be in control of the House of Representatives. Now, yeah. I, I say that as if it's yeah. a terrible jinx on the world, and I, I don't want that to happen. I think Republicans have lost yeah. the right to govern in this country for a period of time, and they need to sit it out. But that might not yeah. be the case. They might actually have control. How does that fit into your calculus? Um, because, you know, one side is your lawmaker. The other side is you do constituency services, which is an important part of being a, re a 
you know, representative at the, for the House of Representatives, that you actually represent the people in your district to Congress separately from setting laws and setting the agenda and the things that the political party system allows the House of Representatives to do. Do you have any thoughts about what that part of the job is going to be and how you're thinking about it? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think uh, as a social worker, I am ready uh, to bring my constituent services A game to the people of West Mm. Michigan, Uh, you know, from navigating, uh, you know, complex federal benefits, uh, you know, student loan labyrinths, uh, you know, helping folks understand how they can interact with their federal government um, is is going to be key. Immigration services is another major uh, key player. I know as an attorney, you know, we interface with our elected officials all the time on complicated cases. And so having an individual who, you know, even if we're not in a position to get votes uh, and, and pass legislation that I fully agree with, uh, the mm-hmm. constituent services side of things is, is going to be essential. And to have someone um, who is really in a position to put uh, the interests of constituents who have lived their life on the margins of society, first and foremost, front and center in the district, I think is going to make a real difference to people. Um, And I also think there's, you know, an important role to play in, uh, you know, being a voice in opposition, you know, even Mm -hmm. if you are not uh, going to get the vote you want, going to get the policy exactly the way you want. Far too many individuals are, you know, just of the mind of I'm going to take my ball and go home. But that's not what the people of West Michigan are electing me to do. I'm going to stay at the table. I'm going to have the conversations and we're going to do everything that we can to influence the legislation that's in the best interest of West Michiganders, uh, even if, you know, it's it's not the party in control. Hillary, we got to get you to D.C., we also have to get you to your next meeting. It's uh, we've, <laughs> yeah, we've, right. we have, uh, we've held you over a little bit, and I know that you've got oh. a busy schedule. And uh, your campaign team is pinging us saying, hey, we got to get going. Oh. So uh, <laughs> good for them. Fantastic. I thought we were wrapping up, and then Doug launched into a whole nother big conversation. So. <laughs> yeah, j- just one more thing. Can we talk a little bit? Of, no, we'll, we'll let you go. We'll, we'll let you go here. We'll, uh, Hillary, thank you so much. Uh, you know, we're rooting for you. I want to encourage everybody to, to check out your website and to volunteer and to donate. And and we are so glad to have you on the podcast and so glad to have you as a candidate for Common Good. Thank you guys so much. Thanks for all the good work you guys do. I'm with Hillary. All right, thank you. All right. Thank you. All right. Okay. <laughs> I waited on that. Jo- okay. I waited on that joke for 38 minutes. Oh, fantastic. Oh, she's great. Boy, she's great. Great. She's uh, going to be the congresswoman perfect. from uh, yeah. Michigan's third district. That's going to happen. Yep. That's a good yep. thing. Yeah. Yeah. I feel really, really good. You know, she she ran in 2020, um, and uh, you know, ha- you just I, I don't know if people understand when you're a a regular person running for office. I mean, and everybody's a regular person, right? But when you're not, <laughs> That's right. when you, let your Elon when Musk you who somehow is special yeah, exactly. for the rest of us. But you don't come up through the the political apparatus, yeah. and you know you don't. It, and you're just like if you're not hand doing or something. Yeah, you've been doing something else in your life, and and feel some compulsion to run for office, and you do it. It, it the first time you do it, it feels like you're making like you're 
putting the train together while you're going down the tracks. Mm -hmm. It just, you don't know what you don't know. It is so difficult, so hard. You don't know who to trust, who to listen to. There's this whole political industrial complex of consultants who want to charge you thousands of dollars a month to give you advice. It's just so complicated. When I, when I was a kid, I, I was a bigger person than the other, than the other kids. And that, that had a lot of, that had a lot of effect when you play sports. So I remember being in, in baseball, like in little league. And I I think they made me play up a side, a, a, an age group because the uniforms fit to be up, up an age group. Uh, and I, I wasn't as good of a baseball player as these kids were. And I remember getting into the batter's box, you know, in the, in the one grade up. So I'm, I'm, if I was like, should have been not in the eight, eight year olds or nine year olds. And I was playing with the 10, 11 year olds. And these pitches were coming so fast. Mm. It was just, and everything seemed like a blur. Everyone was bigger, faster. Everything just moved at such a pace. That's what it can feel like running for office when yeah. you haven't when you haven't been in it before, right? Yep. You get your sea legs after a while, and all of a sudden you're like, no, that's okay. A guy can throw a pitch at 67 miles an hour, you know, in little league. I can now see that. I can hit. I'm not a, I'm, I'm not freaked out by it, and how just much movement and activity there is. Politics is like that, and that keeps a lot of people out. So a lot of people yep. can't build the apparatus at first. Yeah. Uh, and then there's a lot of people monkeying around inside your campaigns if they think you have a chance to win. And, you know, fortunately, Hillary is a very capable person that can do a lot of things because that's what a candidate needs. The other thing people don't always realize, and I think this is helpful for us to give people the inside scoop on this, is how small a congressional campaign is. That mm-hmm. it's much more like a family garage sale than it is yeah. a small business. You're not even yeah. to small, like you, you, you are certainly not Walmart or you're certainly not target, you know, Walmart, your home target, my home. You're not these big corporations when you're running for office. People think that it's that way. You know, they're like all the big money and all the big, and they just think all this stuff is kind of run by power brokers. It's, Closer to somebody just having a, you know, a food truck and it's not even a food truck. It's really someone running a garage sale where they're asking their friends and can I borrow this thing? And, and then it starts to pick up pace and kind of takes off. And so somebody has to have the skill set to manage grassroots, starting something, talking to your friends, not even knowing who to go to, uh, trying to figure out the rules and the laws and how do you set up bank account, all of that skill set. And then you have to scale up to the next level yeah. and then to the next. And that capacity to move yeah. from one stage to the other, most people don't have it. And this is why we end up with certain can- certain people in elected office. And you think, why are these people the ones that are there? Well, the system is just very brutal um, and it's expensive yeah. and all the rest. So, you know, you have to be able to talk to people like us who are on your side. You've got constituents that are telling you that you're the spawn of the evil one. And you've got donor calls to be making all the time and trying to convince people to make donations. It's a really, it's a yeah. really hard job to run for office. And anyone yeah. who's willing to do it, I'll tell you, there is, there is no personal benefit that is worth that. If, if all you wanted was personal benefit, like you just wanted to, I don't know, be rich or something, you're not going to get oh, there's easier a, ways. A, yeah. If you're going to put all that work into something, you know, yeah. 
Go on to smallbusinessesforsale.com and buy a small business and put that kind of time and energy into it, and you'll be off and running and you'll be quite successful. People who do this, and this look, this is frankly true on all sides of the political spectrum. People who choose to run for office do it for reasons that are often hard for others to understand what, what it is. And we like the candidates for whom the common good is the thing that really perpetuates them and drives them, which is why this candidates for the common good, uh, I just did it, sorry, candidates for common good. Uh, I mean, we just have to st- just stop the the, uh, that should be our campaign. It's not vote the common good. It's not candidates for the common good. It's like, it's like saying the God. Can, can I just rant about this, the yeah. thing for a yeah. minute, this oh, preposition? Because, you know, like you don't refer to certain entities, parents, your wife, uh, your God as the, right? So you don't say, uh, this is the wife. I mean, people do it in sort of like bar, bar lingo up here in, in, the, in yep. the Midwest. Oh, I got to go home and talk to the wife, you know, but you don't usually say the wife. Uh, you don't say the God because that's, that acts as if it's a singular uh, uh, a single separate subject. Common good is not a thing. Common good is an approach to the world. And it's really yeah. a big deal that there's not one common good. So when people ask us like, well, what, what, what do you all mean yeah. by the common good? I was like, well, I mean, not the, the common yeah. good, not, not the definitive common good, but it's an approach yep. because if a lawmaker doesn't have the common good as their criterion, then they're using something else. Uh, and, and we're, we're trying to, you know, uh, encourage people to make it common, common goodery. Yeah. I think that's important. That that's a great thing to say because, you know, when we have these candidates for common good, um, we're not asking them to ascribe to, uh, a, a set of policy positions. You know, I, uh, we're like, that's not what vote common good is about. You know, we're, we're not at, we're not looking for candidates or, or, or wanting to, to recognize candidates who, you know, check the boxes mm-hmm. in a certain number of policy positions, which is often how this kind of thing works. Yep. Um, what, what we're doing instead is talking about a shared value. It's not even a shared set of values. It's a shared value. Yes. And that value is the driving force, the motivating factor of the common good being um, being the the thing that that animates candidates and 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 they'll lead in that. And and so in this, you know, group of twenty one initial candidates that are mm-hmm. candidates for common good, uh, there's there's a lot of you know, diversity in approach and opinion. They're not all going to, you know, cross their T's and dot their I's in the exact same places. There's going to be, there's some that are going to be super progressive and some that are going to be more moderate. Yep. There's some that are going to be comfortable in the Bernie wing of the Democratic Party and some that are more comfortable in the Biden wing of the Democratic. You know, like, they're, like this is, so this isn't yes. about a, you know, agreement to a set of policies. It's much more about uh, a frame of reference and a frame of mind and a in a way of moving in the world. Uh, Doug, also as a part of this, we ask 
these candidates to take the the love and politics mm-hmm. pledge. That's something that has been around. You and I had a fun experience asking another politician to take the love and politics pledge, and she refused. Uh, talk talk a little bit about the love and politics pledge and what what that is and how that comes how that has come about in our our work at Vote Common Good. Yeah, back in 2018, we started asking the 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 question. You know, could love become a driving political agenda? Could it be the thing that you reference when you think about your act as a as a politician? And because th- then the current president, Donald Trump, was behaving in such ways that everyone agreed was inconsistent with an attitude and a temperament of love. Some yeah. people thought that was disqualifying. Some people thought that was just fine. Some people thought love should have nothing to do with it. They sort of took the what's love got to do with it vibe. We thought that if love is should be the motivating force for for human life, which I think it is. I think, you know, if you were to ask me my 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 religious uh, perspective on a, a, a theological perspective, I would say I'm a lovist, right? Some people are a Calvinist or a Minionist. Some people are a Lutheran. Uh, I'm a lovist. I think love should be the thing that, that drives. The definition of love is, is unfindable, right? You can't, you can't define love, but you know it when you see it. So there's all these descriptions in different traditions. In the Christian tradition, it has one. In other religions, they have their own descriptional uh, uh, characterizations of love. In humanism, they have it. In people that don't even organize around religion at all, there's a, a set of practices that dictate uh, you know, how someone should love. Love is patient. Love is kind. Lo- love is not self-serving. Like The kinds of things that you really want out of all of us and that we want from ourselves. So we've said, could you make love the governing philosophy for how you're going to behave as a politician? And then will you call other politicians to that same standard? The reason that that second part, will you yourself take a commitment to love as your driving force and make a demand on others in your same industry to do the same? That's what's crucially important. This yeah. notion that I think is is essential to human life, which is that we love one another. There is a one anotherness in that, and you should, to borrow from the Christian traditions language, you should spur one another on to love and good deeds. Mm-hmm. Right, you're kind of in this thing together, and politicians are notorious, like people in other leadership uh, roles in our society, to wanting to say like, well, I wouldn't say it that way, but it's not it's not my business if they do it that way, like. You know, a, a lot of per, the professional industries, there's actually a code of conduct in the in the societies of professional. Like if you're going to be an architect, if you're an engineer, we obviously know this as a doctor, if you're a, a, a public service, a police officer or something, you 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 take on this oath that of a, of a way of conduct. And some reason in politics, we act as if people shouldn't have a have an ethical way of conduct. So we thought, <laughs> well, maybe maybe just let love be the be the thing. Yeah. Uh, and then, will you support others when they do, and will you call people out when they don't? Um, so, in other words, will you call them out 
of when, when, when they don't behave in a way in their professional capacity, in a way that's loving, and when you call them in to being that person who, who loves in that way. So that's the Love and Politics Pledge. Uh, it, it's, it's rooted for our audience in the phrasing of the 13th chapter of the book of Corinthians in the New Testament. Now it sounds like we're at a wedding. Uh, because one it's Corinthians? A, it's a passage from 1 Corinthians 13. What 1 Corinthians 1, 3 that uh, has this little description of love, of which is not, I know that for some people they're like, well, now you're using the Bible and all the rest of this. That list that's in 1 Corinthians 13, that's not unique to Christianity. In fact, the right. the Apostle Paul, the writer of yeah. the book of 1 Corinthians, and including chapter 13, was borrowing a set of known uh, ways yes. of love. So it's calling people to this common experience of love, not calling mm-hmm. people to a unique experience of love. A big yep. debate in Christianity, a big argument is, does the does the Christian tradition call people to something separate and specific that's only in the Christian tradition, as if it's one true group that has a secret that none of the rest know about? That's one version. Or the other is, does Christianity call people into to live into this common experience of goodness and love and faith and hope? And I think that's the better way to understand what's going on in the Christian tradition. So this is calling people to to all that. So that's the Love and Politics Pledge. Um, We currently only have Love and Politics Pledge for people running for office, but we're working on a version for... Uh, for voters too. Yeah, it's exciting. And to think, yeah, you know, yeah, really exciting. Keep, keep your eye out for that. It makes a great Christmas gift. <laughs> there are uh, 21 candidates who have said, I'm in. Like, I, I will use the common good as my governing criteria. I commit to the love and politics pledge. And, you know, it's, it's really exciting. Do you, let me, can I just give a, a rundown real quick of, of yeah, who these please. folks are? And then, and then people can, uh, can go to votecommongood.com and, uh, and get to the, the page that has everybody. You can read about why they became a candidate for common good. And, uh, and you can, uh, you can click on their names to go to their website to learn more about them, support them, all those things. Joseph Alfonso is uh, running for Congress in Michigan in the, uh, the district bordering Hillary Scoltons and uh, um, is uh, in the Holland area. Uh, Dr. Annie Andrews, who's been a guest on this oh, podcast she's, she's in South great. Carolina. Oh, man. Uh, Pastor Eric Butler, who is running in Chicago in Illinois one, um, and just would make a fantastic Congressman. Um, Jay Chen, who's running in California, uh, Keith Davenport, who's running for the state legislature in Kansas. Hmm. We have, Boy, uh, I was hoping of, that was uh, going to be in Iowa. I was just really hoping yeah, he was in Davenport. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Keith's a great guy. We should have we should have a conversation yeah, with should. him on the podcast sometime soon. Chris Deluzio, who's running in the Pittsburgh area to uh, uh, to replace Connor Lamb, who's running for the the U.S. Senate in Pennsylvania. Chris has been a, a guest on the podcast. Marcus Flowers, who's running against Marjorie mm. Taylor Greene in mm. Georgia. Love that guy. And uh, is just a oh, fan. Fantastic. He's been a guest on the podcast. Reverend Wendy uh, Hamilton, who's running in D.C. to be the delegate at, delegate at large for the District of Columbia. And, and uh, Wendy has been a, a, a guest on the podcast. 
Uh, Chris Jones, who I desperately want to be my governor here in Arkansas, running against Sarah Huckabee Sanders uh, to be governor of Arkansas, has been a guest on the podcast. Kelly Kraut, who's running for lieutenant governor of Arkansas, also been a guest on on, on the podcast. She had an amazing TikTok video yesterday. For those of you that uh, uh, like singing? that kind of thing, was she singing in the TikTok video? She was. Yes. See, I'm telling you, I keep people keep saying to me, "No, no, 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 you don't have to sing on TikTok videos." And then I'm like, "Well, what's a what's like a great TikTok video you've seen?" And then they say one, and the person's singing in it. So, yeah, I don't think I don't. Um, if that's the case, Doug, I'm going to advise that maybe you steer clear. Um, yeah, or, you, or they lip sync, right? Isn't that the big thing? Isn't, yeah, isn't that really exactly. what you're doing? I, I don't know. I, yeah. yeah, but Kelly was singing in this TikTok video oh, yesterday. Well, great. That's what makes a great TikTok video. Yeah. Congressman Ted Lieu uh, from best. California. He's the, just fantastic. The political godfather of Vote Common Good. There would be no Vote Common Good without Ted Lieu. I mean, there's just, there's just, there's no way you get there. He, I'm not a godfather, the, the great, great grandfather, like, like the, yeah. the one that you track back to like, well, a lot of decisions could have been made, you know, for us to be here. But if it wasn't for great, great grandpappy, well, yeah. uh, we wouldn't be here. Well, that's Ted Lieu in the Vote Common Good world. Randy McAllen, who's running in for Congress in Missouri. And uh, a candidate I'm personally pretty excited about and look forward to having conversation with her. Tom Nelson, who's running for the United States Senate in Wisconsin, who's been a, a guest on the podcast. And, and, a live spe- and a live speaker at our Common Good Immigration event there right. uh, just outside yep. of Madison, Wisconsin. An in-person yep. candidate with Vote Common Good. Yep. Lisa Parks, who's running for the state Senate in Arkansas. Desperately want Lisa to be my state senator. Uh, all right. Can you, can you tell that? Just turning you know, into the I, Rob, I to the Rob Ryersey's uh, personal benefit uh, in Arkansas well, uh, club. Well, I like it. Clearly, I, I'm kind of connected to the people that you know yeah, are running in, in my Arkansas. state. Yep. Uh, Congresswoman Katie Porter, who's just the best. The, the best. Queen. The best. The auntie uh, of the Vote Common Good effort. Oh, uh, just the best. So the, the other night she was on, she was on, uh, on, uh, uh, Lawrence Lawrence O'Donnell's show the night that the announcement was made about the Supreme Court leaked documents uh, about the Roe versus Wade decision, and she was she was irritated uh, and was you know having to talk about it. And she said, you know this what this has impact for is uh, is families like ours where where the mom is home making pesto pasta and you're having to deal with all the rest of this. Like she's just so great. She has the right instincts to say things like. What I'm talking about is single moms like me who are making pesto pasta, and I shouldn't have to worry that the Supreme Court is going to take 50-year established rights rights away from us. Like her intuition to include pesto pasta in it and not just say, I'm home making dinner, which is what a lot of people would have said. She's like, no, no, no. I'm going to tell them what I'm making. And then people are like, oh, I really love pesto. No No one doesn't like pesto pasta that I've ever met. And so when she says that, people are like, oh. That's great. Have, have you have you had pesto pasta, Rob? Are, are you a pesto I, pasta guy? I have. I'm, I'm not a I'm not a huge Italian food fan, but yeah, I, I get it. I, I I might be the only person in America who doesn't like like Italian food. Meaning, like you don't like noodles? Yeah, I, just the combination. I'm not a spaghetti guy. I'm not a lasagna guy. Macaroni and cheese. I mean, I know your daughter's big into macaroni and cheese because we've had this conversation that she thought it was epic that someone could make a box of macaroni and cheese and eat it themselves. Yeah. It's well, true. I'm telling yeah. you, have some good pesto pasta. Uh, let's ask, yeah. well, let's ask Katie, Katie Porter if, for a recipe. Uh, we should, we should ping it. her on that. 
Yeah, I'll uh, I'll shoot her an email later and ask. You know what we so should do? Katie we should is- find that. Hang on a second. We, we should find that little clip where she's on Lauren. So, I mean, this might be more interesting to talk about than a list of candidates, but um, uh, 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 we should find that little clip where she's on there and then tweet her and say, hey, we're really interested in your pesto pasta uh, recipe and turn her in <laughs> and start a whole pesto pasta meme uh, about uh, about it. all this. Uh, Tim Ryan, who is a congressman from Ohio, who is the Democratic nominee for the United States Senate, won his primary last week. Uh, he is a candidate for Common Good and uh, going up against J.D. Vance, uh, Trump-endorsed yeah, uh, candidate in Ohio, big race in and Ohio. I'll tell you, I have not wanted to care about Ohio since, I don't know, 2004. Um, just because it used to be the bellwether state and you had to win in Ohio and all, all the rest of this. Um, but man, uh, J.D. Vance should not be a senator in the United States Senate. That's and uh, it, this, I don't know how, what we're going to do about this. I really want Tim Ryan to win for Tim Ryan's sake. But also, it's one of these candidates that also, because that other candidate should not be the person representing the state of Ohio in the United States Senate. Yep. Uh, J.D. Vance has just chosen to behave in ways that are just unacceptable. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I had a conversation yesterday with uh, um, one of the members of Tim Ryan's campaign team. And, uh, and I, I'm feeling, I'm feeling good about that race. And um, I like you, I'm committed to, uh, to, you know, we need to we need to do what we can there in Ohio. Yeah. Uh, Patrick Schmidt, who is uh, running for Congress in Kansas. Um, remember him? He's the naval intelligence officer. He's been a guest on the podcast. Naval yeah, intelligence officer who, who watched the insurrection from his office window and said, I got to move home and run for Congress. Yeah. And uh, oh, just a fantastic guy. Uh, Hillary Scolton, mm. who. Wow. Just blew us away on the podcast today. Running in Michigan, Spencer Toder, who is uh, running for the United States Senate in Missouri. Spencer's a super interesting guy. We haven't had him on the podcast yet, have we? Um, I uh, no, we're going to just we did that training with get him, him on right? Yeah, yeah. We need we need to get Spencer on the podcast. He's he's great. Uh, Nan Whaley, who is mm-hmm. the mayor of Dayton and now the gubernatorial nominee for the Democratic Party in Ohio. She won her primary on Tuesday. Uh, first time that uh, a major party in Ohio has had two women at the top of the ticket. Um, Nan Whaley and her lieutenant governor running together to, to lead the state of Ohio. And, uh, man, Nan is great. We're, I, I've been working with her scheduler to, to get her on the podcast. Things have been busy. You know, yeah, she just had her, her, her primary a week ago. And, uh, you know, so she's great. And then uh, Marsha Williams, who's running for Congress in Illinois, uh, suburbs of Chicago. So this is a, you know, an amazing list of folks. Um, you know, those that Shannon's asking if we could drop the the list of names in the, in the chat, I would say go to votecommongood.com and, uh, and you'll see it featured there on the homepage of our website. You can see the list. You can read a little bit of a description of each of these folks, learn more about them, head over to their websites, donate, volunteer for them. And listen, if you're running for office, if you know somebody who's running for office, this is this is something that is open to any candidate for office who's willing to use the common good as their voting criteria and their governing criteria. Um, so, you know, if if you'd like somebody to, to be on this list, um, 
that you know that maybe they're running for school board in your local area or I don't know like Jesse Ventura running for president in 2024. Yeah, um, and, and we want this to be an ever-growing list, right? So yep. um, this is just the start. Launching today, these are the first 21 that have said yes, and we expect that this is going to become, you know, an uncountably long list uh, of yeah. people. So uh, if you have candidates, I saw I saw one in the, in the, chat, uh, in the chat here. I think Kay Ryan says, have, you, have we talked with, some, with Summer Lee? out of Pennsylvania. So yeah, we'll take a look at, at all this and send them our way. This is sort of, uh, uh, it's not really an endorsement because organizations like mm-hmm. ours don't do endorsements. That's, know, that's just it's a recognition other thing. Yeah. This is a, uh, you know, Hey, we're glad to be in on this thing together. And, uh, and we want yeah. that to be the case. You're a voter yeah. for common good. We want these to be candidates for common good. Yeah, we are. We are not endorsing these candidates. We're asking these candidates to endorse the common good, mm-hmm. and uh, and that's that's what they've done. And so we're we're excited to recognize that and to put a spotlight on that. So uh, follow our social media. We're going to be you know highlighting these folks uh, over the next several days, and um, um, you know it's uh, you know we're we're excited about. Um, about this opportunity to, uh, yeah, you know, to try to make a difference for good. Yep, yep. Uh, hey, th- thanks all for uh, for being part of this. If you're not already over on our YouTube channel on YouTube, this whole conversation, our three times a week conversation, which now we're moving to Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, going to be on YouTube starting in June as the place where you find it. If you're currently on Twitch or Twitter or Facebook. Get over there, subscribe, uh, and we're moving our video life uh, to be over on Facebook, and then we'll put links to, I'm sorry, over on YouTube, and then we'll put links on Facebook and Twitter and the other places. Uh, also, subscribe when you're over there. It really does help us. There's a thing you have to do with the, with the algorithm. There's just, uh, there's a, there's, there's an actual code that you have to follow <laughs> in the code <laughs> and uh, hitting a certain number of, of views, a certain number of subscribers, certain number of watch hours. These are all things that we have to get to and we're going to build our, our presence over there. So uh, find us over there on the on the uh, uh, the the YouTubes and we will um, we'll be back tomorrow. We're talking about uh, Faith. Dan, Dan, who's our who's our guest tomorrow? We've got Moms Demand Action and every town like anti-gun violence activist and pastor. Right. So we're going to talk about how we reduce gun violence in America. That seems like a really great conversation. So that's going to be tomorrow. And then we'll also see you on Thursday. Uh, and uh, keep an eye out for some uh, other more produced YouTube-like videos that we're, that we're getting into. We're, we're going to take that pretty seriously around here. All right, Rob, anything else? Anything else, Dan, that we need to talk about in the political it, front it, today? You know, I just teased it a little bit, Doug. Your former governor said on Twitter that big announcement is coming. Any guesses at what oh, Jesse Ventura is going to do? Just in a in a sentence, is Jesse Ventura running for president, Doug? I I don't know. I think Jesse Ventura re- rescinded his U.S. citizenship and moved to Mexico. So uh, I do think that's true. So I'm not sure if he's unrescinded his citizenship and now can run. Uh, Look, uh, Jesse Ventura was... Maybe it's a return to wrestling. Maybe that's what he's teasing. I think the bigger question is, why are you following Jesse Ventura on Twitter? (laughs) Second question, why Twitter? 
Um, but, right. but, but, okay. you know, uh, sort of, you know, uh, yeah. I can't really. That's get... all. All no, right. Jesse Ventura. Oh, <laughs> the body. Jesse the body. Um, but, you know, the nice thing about a guy like Jesse the body, former uh, media star, movie star, professional wrestler, was the mayor of Brooklyn Center, this town here. Uh, in, in just outside of Minneapolis, and then ran for governor. And it's just a good reminder that, you know, the politics is the biggest circle we have in our society. It's the thing that everyone is included in. Everyone has political effect and implication. So everyone should get to run, even Jesse Ventura. And he's a libertarian, so I just, you know, it's just it's my own... It's my own... <sighs> But again, um, let's, let's talk, should be let's able talk to a little bit about you your Twitter feed. You don't have to feed. vote for everyone. Yeah, though. you don't have to vote for everyone. Uh, and you don't have to follow everybody on Twitter. And then I'm looking at my shirt. Look at this. What is this? It's like I'm I, like, are you sweating? Did no, you spill something? I think it's a stain. I, it's I have just been, downright embarrassing. Yeah, I have been sweating like a like a hog throughout this entire oh, podcast. Really? So I'm gonna I'm gonna need to get off and. Uh, Take go try to convince my wife. Yeah, sneak go, over and turn on the my AC. Wife to turn on the air conditioner. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, awesome. Well, say, hey, in Arkansas, you can't have the air conditioner on before May first. It's like it's like time zones, but it moves exactly. north to south uh, for for air con- <laughs> for air conditioners. Um, that should be a that should be a, a a new a new a new category. Hey, we live in this you know this air conditioning zone. Uh, yeah, we, we can have it on when we need it. All right, that's that's good enough. It's great. See everybody right, tomorrow. Everybody. See you bye.